Good evening, family. How are we doing tonight? Such a privilege once again for me to be before you uh, this evening and to bring the word. Uh, we are starting a new series today uh, called Be Different. It's part of our, our, our Kingdom Living uh, series. We really want to talk about what it looks like to uh, live a fulfilled life <clears throat> as a kingdom citizen. And uh, I, um, I, I hope that, uh, that I'm in good company uh, in saying this. Uh, being different means thinking different, speaking different, acting different. Being, being different or having a different outcome or output means having different input or at the very least a different process. So I encourage you to engage uh, throughout the time that we're uh, in the series and to uh, really allow the Holy Spirit to cultivate a place in you um, that, that brings out a difference, something that is different from what you've always been before uh, so that you can do things that are different uh, from what you've always done before, achieve things um, that are different from what you've always achieved before. Amen. I'm going to uh, camp out largely in the book of 1 Samuel, so if you in your Bible, you're welcome to go through to the book of 1 Samuel, and we're going to bounce around in there. Because we're going to bounce around a little bit, I'm, I will have the scriptures uh, popped up on, on the screen. So the particular focus uh, that I wanted to have for today is that of community. And community that I'm linking specifically to the life of David. I want to look at the life of David um, <clears throat> The people that he encountered in his life, uh, the impact of those people and their choices, how uh, that journey progressed and had its outworking in, in David being King David um, that we're all familiar with. So I thought it was a good idea, since I was going to talk about David, um, to look up his, uh, his LinkedIn, because him and I are connected on LinkedIn. And just to see what he has to say about himself, you know. So I went ahead and, and, and looked, and, uh, and he had listed a few achievements of his that were noteworthy. Uh, and, um, and, and he says this, he says, Under my rule, we threw out the Philistines from Jerusalem and ushered in the city's golden age as God's very own pied de Earned praise for this in trade journals of Samuel and Chronicles. He says, uh, I followed instruction from H following instruction from HQ, I consolidated worship in Jerusalem and destroyed the high places out in the burbs. Established HQ in Jerusalem and commenced realignment of corporate structure with regrettable layoffs and head chop-offs. I improved corporate stability via well-executed strategic partnership with the God Corp. Received protection and favorable trading status in exchange for unquestioning loyalty and regular animal sacrifice. I successfully eliminated the surrounding competition, including Amalekites, Philistines, Moabites, Syrians, and Ammonites. These acquisitions contributed to double-digit annual profits and increased market share. I shaved costs still further by using slave labor from former enemies. Said I, last, he says, I led a highly successful merger and made the, name, the brand name Israel include both North and South 
for the first time. How's that for a resume? King David. Now, this is the David that we've come to know, and this is the David that we, we refer to, and this is the David that we celebrate and we learn from. And so we, we, we are well familiar with the David who is a, a warrior, the David who is a, a poet and a worshiper, the, the, the David who, who throws himself at the feet of God and his mercies, the David that God says is a man after my own heart. But what I want you to do is to take a few steps back and to look at the process of where it all began and how it progressed to the point of David the king. And all of this is going to be within the context of community. So there's a few things that you and I have to agree on before we proceed. And uh, the first thing that we have to agree on uh, in order to be able to go in the same direction is that the people that we encounter in the journey of life matter. People matter, right? So the people that we encounter matter. The second thing that we agree on is that the choices and the decisions that we make about these people matter. So the people that we encounter along the journey of life, they matter. The choices and decisions that we make about these people matter. Second thing, or the third thing, sorry, that we have to agree on within this context is that you are not always David. You're not always the hero of the story. It's not always about you. Sometimes you're the supporting cast. Sometimes you're featuring in David's story. And that's awesome, and you and I have to be okay with that. Because if you and I are awesome supporting cast, when it's our story, our movie, we're expecting an awesome supporting cast, right? So let us be an awesome supporting cast to the story of another David. But we're not always David. Fourth thing that I want us to agree on is that if, if, if we're on the same page, that people matter and that God uses them, then the next logical conclusion is that community, which is a gathering of people around an intentional purpose, a community of people is at the heart of us discovering, not only discovering, but also furthering our purposes in God. So if we want to continue to unearth and discover our purposes in God and to further them, that place is found within the context of community. So people that we, we encounter, they matter. The decisions that we make around these people, these decisions matter. You and I are not always David in the story. Community is at the heart of us discovering and furthering our purpose in God. And the last thing I want us to agree on is that you don't always, or you don't have to be skilled at relationships to be in community but you do have to be committed to improving. So if, if you're going to be in community and you're going to get the most out of community, whatever God has in store for you in that space, you have to be committed to improving relationally. If you don't improve relationally, it goes without saying that you don't get the most out of that community. In fact, it might go without saying that you may not be part of that community for very long. But you don't have to be highly skilled at relationship to be in community. Let's look at the story. Let's look at the, the contrast of David and, 
and, and, uh, and Saul, King Saul, to make that example. David seemed to mess up relationship whenever you turn around. But he was skilled at, at being committed to community. And because he was committed to community, he was willing to do what it takes to reconcile. He was, he was even at his own cost. So David was always in community. Wherever you look for David, he was always in community. Saul, on the other hand, by and large, if you look at the, 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 the life of Saul, he seems to be decent at, at, at relationships. He seems to be decent at relationships. However, he's largely isolated. He's largely isolated, and the outcomes are very different. So when we uh, first encounter David, we first meet David, there's another man um, that we're introduced to, uh, which is Jesse. We're told in, in the Bible that Jesse was the father of David. So we meet David, he's, we, we, we know he's out in the pasture land, and we know that his father is Jesse, that he's got many brothers, and he's the last of his brothers. And that his job in the family is to be the shepherd and to look after the family livestock. And so if you were looking for David, you would typically find him out in the pasture land, whether it was hot or cold or raining, pleasant or unpleasant, there David was in the pasture land making sure that the family livestock was taken care of. Being a shepherd was not a glamorous job. This was not a promotion for, for David. In fact, we're told that his older brothers had followed Saul and went to war. That was a glamorous job. It was a glorious job because if you did well there, man, people wrote songs about you. The, the middle brothers presumably are at home looking after the family affairs, sitting with the dad and we're going, hey, what are we going to do? How are we going to create legacy for the family? What are, they're making decisions. Where's David? He's on the outside. But what we see about David is even though he has been tasked with the menial task, with the dog work, the stuff that nobody wants to do, he's doing it excellently. We also see, we also see that the relationship that David has with his brothers, let's call it tense. And part of that evidence is David going off to the front lines to deliver food because, you know, apart from his job as being a shepherd, he was also moonlighting for Uber Eats. <laughs> and his dad had told him to go to the front lines and to, and to take food to his brothers, which he faithfully did. But he was met with a negative reception from his brothers, inexplicably so. But one thing we have to recognize about David is his response to his brothers is honorable. His response to his father is honorable. His responsibility to his work is is diligent and excellent. God was watching David, seeing the shepherd, training him for kingship. And we have the benefit of oversight and hindsight and all, all the sights, right? So we know what was happening in that process. So God is looking at David and he's raising him up and David is going to be the shepherd for all of Israel. Jesse was looking at David and all he could see was a shepherd. Oh, he loved David. He loved David. David was a son. He, he took personal responsibility for David. He would feed him, train him up, raise him, all of those things. But it, regardless of how dutiful David was in, his, in the performing of his tasks, he was always going to be a shepherd boy to Jesse. Why am I bringing this up? 
Well, because, saints, we have Jesse's in our lives. We have people who love us. They love us. They'll support us. They like us. They'll be there for us. But they'll only ever see a limited view of who you're called to be. They'll never get to fully appreciate what God has placed inside of you. That does not leave you, though, without excuse. You still have to be responsible with your purpose and the identity that you carry in God. So because somebody that you respect and that you hold in high regard as maybe maybe a mentor or an authority over you doesn't fully appreciate the potential that you carry, the purposes of God over you doesn't mean that you get to forfeit those purposes. You still have to be faithful with that. See, saints, Jesse's are important in our lives. They're very important. We need them because they test our hearts. They test our motives. And they allow our hearts to come before God and to be judged either as pure or falling short. And if falling short, we get to fall to the grace of God and appeal to him, Lord, help me, train me to recognize and to know how to serve you in such a way that I am not looking for the applause of anyone else but you. That I can do whatever task I'm given to do with great excellence, and even if somebody else gets the credit, I know that you saw me. That if even if I don't get the applause, even if I don't get the spotlight, even if I don't get that moment with all eyes on me, I know, God, you see me. And I will be faithful in those spaces. We need Jesse's. And we encounter our Jesse's within the context of community. I'm glad Pastor Jesse is not here as I'm preaching this. Because it would have been a little bit awkward. <laughs> as, as we follow the story of, of David, he encounters another man. The prophet Samuel. Samuel, who was at one stage the, the leader of of Israel, God had him transition the leadership of Israel to King Saul, and he was the, he was the, the national prophet, and he would go around and doing, performing his, his prophetic duties. God tells him to go to Bethlehem, to the house of Jesse, because he has he's appointed one of the sons of Jesse to be the next king of Israel. So in obedience, Samuel goes, and uh, he has the sons of Jesse lined up before him, and he needs to make the selection. The Bible tells us that they came in uh, before him, and Jesse paraded his sons proudly before the prophet Samuel. And Samuel, from the first guy who walks in, is mightily impressed. This jock of a man walks in, handsome, tall, capable, commanding attention. Samuel noticed him the moment he walks in, and he says, surely this is the next king of Israel. God says, nope. Next, nope, nope. Until he tells Samuel, Samuel, I want you to stop looking with the eye of the flesh because you assume that I see what you see. You assume that I judge the way you judge. I don't use your metric system. I have my own and I judge the heart. I want to say this to any of you who have ever felt overlooked, who have ever felt like because of the way you look, because of of your economic status, because of the way you speak, because of the education or lack of education that you were overlooked. There is a Samuel in this community for you. Samuel did something for David that nobody else had ever done. 
Samuel picked David first. If you're carrying the wounds of feeling like, man, I was not wanted, I was never picked, or I was never picked first, I want to tell you that God sees your heart. Not your, not your education, not your bank balance, not your residential address, not your physical stature, not your ability to talk, not anything. He sees your heart, and he's got a Samuel for you. Samuel saints are important for us because, you see, Samuels are not particularly preoccupied with our history. They don't much care how, about our history, how we grew up, you know, the wounds that we're carrying. So Samuel didn't rock up to Jesse's house and have a sit-down meeting with David and commiserate with him about, man, oh, you must carry some rejection and identity issues, and I'm so sorry that your brothers are chosen before you, and even when there was opportunity for promotion, you weren't even considered. That's not his primary concern. The Samuels in our community are primarily concerned with disrupting you from the what you think is your purpose, and putting you into the purposes and the path of God. They interact with you, and they disturb your equilibrium. Big word. (laughs) And they set you on a path that you didn't even think was yours. But it is God-ordained. We need Samuels, and we find Samuels, and we get to be Samuels within the context of community. Having received this anointing, it set him on a path, and, uh, and David would end up in the palace as a palace intern. And he would interact with Saul, and they had an interesting relationship with King Saul, right? So King Saul, first king, and he's ruling, but really, he's, um, he finds himself indebted to David. So what had happened was, one of the occasions when David was delivering food to the front line, he found the battle lines drawn between the two armies, the, 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 the Israelite army and the Philistine army. But surprisingly, no one was attacking. They were not engaging in warfare. But what would happen every day is that a, a giant of the man, the Bible gives us his name, is Goliath. He would stand before the armies of Israel, and he would issue a challenge before them. And he would insult them, and he would insult their God. But they trembled before him, and no one would rise up to this challenge. And it would go on. Day after day after day after days, 40 days, Bible tells us this would happen with no champion from Israel willing to stand up until the day that David shows up, hears this challenge, and something rises up inside of him. And, and he stands up to this challenge, and, and we know how the story ends. He takes out Goliath, he chops off his head, he inspires the armies of God, and they charge the Philistines, and they overcome them in a glorious way. Great, great success. So, so now, we're going home. We've just won this amazing victory. You know, we're sending people ahead. Tell the people we've been victorious. We, oh, we've destroyed the enemy. And so there's a triumphant procession coming in back home. The people are celebrating. They hear, oh, we won. We won the war. So what, they start with the struggle songs. And, um, and, and Saul is leading. Saul is leading in, and, and, and the struggle song starts. So Saul is right at the, he's right at the, at, at, at the front line. I did message David on my LinkedIn to try and get the chords for the song. Because I really wanted to sing it to you guys, but he hasn't responded yet. But the song is that, that King Saul has killed, has taken out his thousands. But David has killed his tens of thousands. 
So they're singing. David is uh, Saul. He's right at the front. He's leading the trial, right? Yeah. Hey, David. <laughs> Saul is 1,000. Yo, David, 10,000. Yeah, Saul is 1,000. Yeah, David, 10,000. And Saul is there. He's here. He's here until he listens to the lyrics. And then he... <laughs> Have you, have you ever had that moment? A song that, that you've been like bumping to for years and you finally listen to the, to, to the lyrics. Hibbit, 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 hey! Hey! And it's like, and then, and one day, instead of going full ratchet mode, you actually listen to the lyrics. And you're like, whoo! <laughs> All sorts of repenting that needs to happen. Happened to Saul, guys. Happened to Saul. There he was. And then he, he, he listens to the song and he realizes, yo, wait a minute. See, Saul would have been aware of the fact that Samuel had anointed David. It wasn't a secret. The, 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 the senior national prophet of the nation, when he rocks up to your town, that's not a secret. Everybody's trembling. Why are you here? What has God said? What do you want? If he comes to your house, that's a massive deal. You don't hide that. Plus the fact that David was anointed in the presence of his family. And so this wasn't a secret. Saul would have been aware of this. But it wasn't a problem to Saul right at that moment. Because you see, Saul had economic power. He had political power. He had military power. Really, David was no threat to him. He was a young boy um, whom a guy had poured some oil over. <laughs> and it wasn't a problem until, until Saul saw the tide change. And he realized popular opinion was turning towards David. And there was a little bit of a shift. Now, I was re reading the story, and, uh, and I'm going, okay, so... This happened, and the woman started to sing the song. And it says that, you know, so, so, so Saul says this. He says, well, what next? If they're singing this about David, what next? Is, it, is, is my throne next? Is he going to take over my throne next? And I go, whoa, Saul. I mean, that's a, I mean you're reaching, buddy. That's like, that's a big step to take. It's, it's a song. It's a song. How do we get to the throne? But is, isn't that the nature of engaging with deeply insecure people. It's zero to 100 very quickly. No, 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 no. That, I, I was just making a comment about this. This is all I was talking about. How did we get here? But we're here, and we're fighting, and the wheels have fallen off. And so, I don't know if if you've ever had people, maybe you have somebody in your life, you know those kind of people that like you. They even love you as long as you stay small. Stay in your box. You and I will get along. So you see, David, the shepherd boy, the young shepherd boy, awesome, no problem. David, the palace intern, great. Doing well, buddy, keep it up. 
David, the ambitious young intern who's, you know, he's, he's volunteering for this like ambitious task. I'm going to take this on. Great, buddy. Great initiative. Leadership. Company values. Woohoo! <laughs> but the David who becomes what is seemingly like a celebrated warrior. Whoa. No, 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 no. We're uncomfortable now because the power dynamics are changing. So as long as, as long as we're here, you know, you can grow, you can self-develop, but just keep it here. Don't, don't come out your box because if, you, if the economic situation changes, I don't know how to deal with you anymore. If, if you learn how to stand up for yourself, I don't know how to, how to engage with that now. You've developed a mind of your own now. It's, you don't just relying on me to feed. I don't know what to do with that. You, you, you're on the fast track in your career, and I'm supposed to be the, guy, the person who's mentoring you. I'm not sure how to handle that. Let us be careful, saints, that we don't become those souls. Because in as much as we sit there and go, yeah, I've got the soul like that in my life. You know, I've got a soul or two I've got to deal with. Maybe somebody's sitting there going. Utin lo soul. In the process of engaging with Saul, being in the palace, serving them, David meets a man named Jonathan, who happens to be the son of King Saul. And they form an incredible friendship, a deep bond. Jonathan is, is in line to inherit the throne. But he's also aware that God has declared that David is the king of Israel. So there's a potentially a really awkward situation brewing here. But I want to tell you what, guys. As I've been studying this portion of Scripture, I've become even more convinced Jonathan is one of the best men I've ever come across. Little celebrated. <laughs> come on, Jonathan. <laughs> the story goes on about David, and we know, you know some information about Jonathan here and there, but this man is amazing. This man is amazing. I'll tell you what, what I really admire about this man. Jonathan was not afraid to express his love for David. He wasn't afraid to express his friendship, his love, his kinship for David. So much, no, so, so much so, it actually makes me uncomfortable. I read the word, yo, I mean, I mean, that's close, guys, you know? And, and, and I mean, these guys were, had, had like this super bond. And, and the thing is, the reason we get uncomfortable around this is, is that we read it with eyes that are unused to seeing what it looks like for unbridled vulnerability and intimacy between men. So when we look at it, the only way we can interpret it is by assuming that they had some kind of romantic relationship. That's the only way that that could make sense. And we pervert it. We pervert it because we don't know what it looks like to see masculine vulnerability come together and create that kind of intimacy. It's scary for us. We label it something else so that we can move on. And so, and so Jonathan is not afraid of who he is, not afraid of his emotion, not afraid to express his love and affection for his friend, his kin, David. 
or his kindred soul, rather. Second thing I really admire about, about Jonathan. Jonathan is not intimidated by David. He's not intimidated. Saul is intimidated by David, by the exploits of David, by what people are saying about David. Jonathan is well aware of what people are saying, and even what God has said about David, he's not intimidated. In fact, Jonathan says to his father, or sorry, he says to David, you are going to become king of Israel. Even my father knows that. And I will be next to you. And so he embraces a call that is from heaven and not a call that is from man. Let me tell you what his call from man was. He, he would have had people around him going, buddy, if David lives, you don't get the throne. It is to your best interest that David dies. Because that throne is yours by right. But the heavenly call over, over Jonathan was, Jonathan, I have ordained you to be a support to the king that I have ordained. Would we be willing to be Jonathan's to David's in our lives? To sacrificially, sacrificially support and put them up before, before God for their, for, for, for their God-given calling? Or do we always want to be David? The one who's put before everybody else. Here's the other thing that I really love about Jonathan. He manages so successfully to straddle this, this, this space that would have been so weird for me of having on the one side his father whom he has a relationship with and David whom he has a relationship with and, and Saul and David has this weird, very toxic relationship happening. Where, you know, Saul loves him the one moment, he wants to kill him the next. David won't address anything, so he's running away the whole time. It's weird, it's toxic, it's nothing's being resolved. And here is Jonathan. And normally, we would expect that he would get sucked in one way or another. Pick a side. You know, so, so he doesn't fall into this weird codependent lie that says, well, if you're my friend, you would have been loyal to me. Why did you stay in the palace when I had to run to the caves and you call yourself my friend? He didn't fall to the side that says, if you're a true, a true son, you'd bring me that man's head. No, he, is, he loves them both. He respects them both. He's loyal to them both. He honors them both, but he's his own man. He, he, Jonathan is not, is not inferior. He doesn't have an inferiority complex to either of them. Read the stories. He, he, he performs amazing exploits. He shines in his own right. He's walking his own path. He's not a follower of David, but he's his committed and loyal friend. And he'll follow his father faithfully and loyal, loyally to battle. And he walks this, straddles this with, 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 with just great skill. I mean, you can imagine, you know, the family dinner the conversations that would happen around the family, just Jonathan, you have to understand, I'm building this for you. I'm not going to be around forever. This, this whole empire is, I don't understand why you keep letting this guy escape. Do you understand the kind of threat that he holds for me and for you and for us as a family? You know, if, if this was a black family, they would be saying, you will remember my words, my child, when I am gone. Just nudge your neighbor and say, interpret that tongue. 
But Jonathan manages an amazing skill to straddle these two worlds. As, as David is on the run, he's in the wilderness. And uh, in the wilderness, he encounters uh, some shepherds. They, they're out in the, in, in the pasture land. They, they, they've driven the, their livestock out to, to find pasture so that the animals can feed. And they look after them in, that, in those areas, and they, they stay in that space for an extended time. And so David and his army end up staying with these guys. And, and, and they, they, they surround them, they, they protect them, they ensure that there are no raiders that come and steal the flock, and that there's no wild animals that threaten them, they protect them. It's great. And, and then resources start to run low, food and drink, etc., so when these shepherds go home, back to where they came from, and, and the livestock and the shepherds, they belong to a man named Nabal, who was a wealthy man in the area. When they begin to go home, uh, David sends a message along with them. He says, please tell Nabal this. Tell him, say, I am David. And, and, uh, and David would have been a, a household name by that point. And his, his strife and his, his conflict with Saul was a very well-known thing. So tell him, I, 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 I'm David. I've been out here in the wilderness with your sheep, sheep shearers, your shepherds, your livestock. I haven't touched a single one. No harm has come to them. We've protected them. Please give us some water, some meat, and some bread for my people to drink and eat. Nabal gets this message, and Nabal's response to David is this. Who's David? Who is the son of Jesse? That I should take the meat that I have slaughtered for my sheep shearers and give it to him. In fact, he goes on, he says this, he says, you know, many, many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. When this message gets back to David, he's infuriated. Infuriated. He says, I didn't steal from this man. I protected his, his interest, and this is how he responds to me. He commands his army, he says, strap on your swords. We're going to go down to this man's household. We're going to annihilate the entire household. And they're on their way. While they're on their way, a message gets back to the house of Nabal. Unfortunately, it lands with the wife of Nabal, whose name is Abigail. And she receives the message, she's given the context, and she quickly jumps to action. So she prepares some food, some loaves, some meat, some drink, and she loads it on, onto some donkeys, and she goes off to meet David before he can reach their house. And when she reaches him, she makes profuse apology uh, for her husband's response. And she says this, she says, that the Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battles and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, that's Saul, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord's success, remember your servant. Two things that she's saying here. Firstly, she's saying, my Lord David, you are going to be king. That is doubtless. But when you are king, the things that you did before you were king are going to come knocking. So if you are going to be king one day, be a king today. If you are going to be a CEO one day, be a CEO today. If you are going to be a leader of people one day, be a leader today. 
If you are going to be a president of a nation one day, be a president today. Because you, the things that you think you can get away with today, and you think when I get there, I won't be able to get away with them, so I'll stop doing these things when I get there. These things are going to come knocking. That thing that you're trusting God to be, that thing that God has called you to be, be it today. Second thing we see is we contrast how Nabal saw David and how Abigail saw him. Nabal looked at David through carnal eyes and he says, ah, a servant who's broken away from his master. Abigail looks at him and proclaims according to the prophecies and the, and the word of God over David. She sees him in the light of who God has says he is. We need Abigails in our lives. We find Abigails in the context of community. We, are, we can be Abigails to one another in the context of community. Interestingly enough, as you read the story further, David goes on to marry Abigail, Nabal's wife. What, what, what I read into that is David looked at Abigail and was like, Yo, girl, no one has spoken to me the way that you have spoken to me. No one has seen me the way that you have seen me. I got to put a ring on that. <laughs> he did wait for Nabal to die. And then he took... <laughs> so, you know, I don't know what you're supposed to take from this. <laughs> I think I'm going to go home and tell my wife, stop complimenting men. It's bad for my health. <laughs> there was a time when David had been king for some time. And the, and the word tells us that it was in, in the springtime at the time when kings would go and make war. And David, who every other year had gone with his with his armies, with his band of brothers, to make war, this time sent them ahead, and he stayed home. And he stayed home, and he got bored, so he went onto his roof, and he started walking around, and he looked over the distance, down the river, and there was a lady, bathing, naked. And he thought, I'm going to take a closer look. And it went south from there. It went south. David was not where he was supposed to be. His mandated place was to lead the armies. And he sent the armies off and he stayed at home. When the rest of us are out advancing the kingdom, when the rest of us are prioritizing community, when the rest of us honoring our commitments and being a connect group, where are you? Don't be found when you are supposed to be in a place, in a kingdom space. I'm going to kick back today and put on some Netflix. Because you're going to find a river and a lady and she's going to be naked. And then it's a problem for all of us now. 
Yeah, no, yeah the laughter is like, it's here. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's like, so, <laughs> what does he know? <laughs> and where is this going? I'm, I'm done with this. I'm moving on. I'm talking about the mighty man. The Holy Spirit will talk to you about this, Sheba. David had this amazing band of brothers. The Bible calls them the mighty men of David. And, and, they, and they waged warfare together. And they, and they did amazing exploits. This is just a small excerpt. This, in fact, I'm just going to tell you about three of these guys. There were about 37 of them. And they all had an amazing just story that blows your mind. You have to read this portion of Scripture. David had a general who was like, he was the cream. He was the, like the top. He was the general of the generals. His name was Josheb Bashabeth. JB. <laughs> JB took out 800 men with a spear. Now, if I'm imagining this and I'm putting myself in this position and, and we go into war and I'm told, or not even I'm told, I, put, I lift my eyes and here's this great army before me, my weapon of choice is not a spear. And if all I have is a spear, then my plan is to pause this whole situation. Let's go back to the drawing board. Guys, I'm going to need a sword. I might need a few swords, some, some shields, some crossbows. Maybe let's wait until somebody's figured out how to work a machine gun so that this makes sense. That wasn't JB's response. His was to look up, to see the opposition, to look at what is in his hand, and then just to trust God. And then to take them on. One man, one spear, 800 men down. Because this man was a man who was skilled in warfare. You see, saints, in our community, we need to align ourselves with people who are skilled with the things that God has put into their hands. If God has put a spear in a man's hand, let that man be skilled in that spear. And to look at the issues that stand before us and to look at the challenges and even the ones that seem insurmountable and to take them on. Oh, we need some Eliezer's in our lives. The Bible tells us that this man, Eliezer, he, he, he held a sword and he was fighting and they fought the enemy and he fought for so long and he was slashing and thrusting and taking down the enemy so, so long his hand grew weary and froze to his sword. There, there no longer was a, a, a distinction between the man and the sword. Whether he was cramping, he was bruised, he had battle scars, he kept slashing, he kept fighting. Saints, we need Eliezer's in our community who will carry the sword. They will carry the sword and they will slash and they will fight and wage war for so long that when you interact with them, you won't be able to tell where they begin and where the word starts. Because they have become proficient in warfare with the sword, with the word of God. When they think, they're thinking the word of God. When they advise you, they advise you according to the word of God. When they define themselves, when they appropriate failure, it is through the word of God. Success is through the word of God. They, you need some liaisons who are going to wake you up at 2 a.m. in the morning. Why are you still sleeping when I am waging warfare for your health? 
Why are you still sleeping? Why are you believing the doctor's report when we clearly have a higher mandate and a higher authority? They will slash and it doesn't matter how big the enemy is. It doesn't matter what the odds are. There is no difference between Eliezer and the sword. They will slash. It doesn't matter what the doctor has said. It doesn't matter what the bank, bank balance is saying. It doesn't matter what the consultants are saying. It doesn't matter whether the, what mood is saying, your Eliezer is next to you, slashing. In community, we get to be Eliezer. Be so in, so in tune with your word that when I engage with you, I can't tell when your opinion starts and when the Bible starts. Because it is one. Oh, we need some Shemars in our lives. The Bible tells us Shemar was a man whom, who, who fought alongside these generals. He was the third of the three top generals. And, and they were in, engaged in warfare. And then the enemy or the army of Israel began to retreat. And as they were running away, something rose up inside of Shema, and he decided, I'm done retreating. Oh, I'm done running away. Oh, I'm done not dealing. I am drawing a line that says he took a stand on a field of lentils and refused to give it up. Saints, you can either fight the battle on, a, on, the, on the piece of land that you choose, that field of lentils that you refuse to, to relent on, or you can fight the battle on your front door. But if you don't take down the enemy over here, he's coming for your front door. And if he comes for your front door, he's coming for your health, he's coming for your kids, he's coming for your marriage, he's coming for your legacy, he's coming for your money, he's coming for everything. You take a stand in that field of lentils and you fight and you refuse to let go. You be that Shema and you have those Shemas in your life who will help you to uphold Christian values, who will hold you to account who will tell you, no, brother, don't take that shortcut. I know you're concerned about how you're going to pay the bills, but don't take that shortcut because you're going to forfeit what God is doing in your life. Hold the ground. You need those shemas who are going to tell you, girl, I know you're afraid to lose him, but don't sleep with him just to secure him because you're going to forfeit your soul. Hold the line. Hold the line. Fight it here. Don't let it rob you of your legacy. We need... We need the mighty men in our lives. And we get to be the mighty men within the context of community. You know, one of the, 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 the illustrations, or most fundamental illustrations that I was given when I, uh, when I first got born again around community was somebody saying to me, imagine a fire made of coals. And, and, and you identify the hottest coal, the one that's right in the center, the hottest coal, and you take that out and you put it on the side. What's going to happen to that coal? It's going to die out. It's going to die out. doesn't matter how hot it was in the fire. You put it over here, it's going to die out. Saints, I don't care how strong your faith is. In isolation, it's going to die. Because your fire is within the context of other calls. That's where it makes sense. That's where it's fed. In this church, one of the primary vehicles that we use for community is what we call connect groups. Connect groups. We meet all over the city, various times throughout the week, and we fellowship together, and we sharpen each other, and we help each other to deal with the souls, or to pull out the souls out of us, and the Jesses out of us, and to, and to deal with, you know, with, with, with the Jonathans, or to learn to be a Jonathan, and, 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 and to be the mighty men to one another. We get to stretch one another and learn these things within the context of community.
So you know, in, in the book of Acts chapter 2, Paul, uh, Peter, after the Holy Spirit comes down on the, on the guys and he's preaching, and they're preaching this amazing message. After a while, the people are saying, the Bible says they were cut, they were cut to the heart. They say, what, what should we do? What should we do to be saved? It, it, it is my hope and my faith that I'm preaching this message and you're cut to the heart. And your question is, brother, what should we do? I'm glad you asked that question. Join a connect group. Join a connect group. That's, that, that really, I want to make it really fundamental. Prioritize community. And the first place to start is join a connect group. In fact, just to put action to that, we have these, um, these connect cards. And, and our ushers have these cards with, with them. And, uh, and if you're not in, in a connect group, you're a member of this family, and you're not in a connect group, I want to implore you, please, prioritize this moment. Get one of these cards, fill it in so that you can join a connect group. If you are a member of this family, you are in a connect group, my appeal to you is lead a connect group. Lead a connect group. Take the stand. Lead a connect group. Create that place where people can come and experience the community that you have enjoyed for so long. So I'm going to go ahead and ask if the ushers, in fact, if you can just put up your hand, um, if, you, if you want to fill in one of these cards to either join a connect group uh, or to start a connect group, you'll be able to fill in your details and the area that you stay in. You can either tick to join a connect group or to start a connect group. The di different types of connect groups, you have a men's group, a mixed group, a women's group, and a family group, depending on the stage of life you're in. Go ahead and fill those in. When you're done, you can drop off those cards on your way out, there's a box, there are boxes on either side of the glass doors, and you can drop those cards off uh, on your way out. You'll, you'll receive a call from the, from the church office sometime this week, and we're going to help you process that so that we can get you into awesome relationship and on the journey of discipleship. Amen.